This episode is brought to you in partnership with MUSC's new Health and Wellness Institute. Most of us think of MUSC as a place we go when we're really sick and we need help desperately. But what I want to highlight this season is all the incredible, amazing things that are happening at MUSC to keep you from needing their services, really. I mean, all of this research, innovative treatment, there's really cool stuff going on at MUSC, and I cannot wait to bring some of these physicians and healthcare providers and researchers onto the podcast so that you can hear behind the scenes of exactly what's going on. You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. So I'm in downtown Charleston today. I'm talking to the famous or infamous, we'll decide at the end of this podcast. I'm kidding. I, I adore you, Dr. Colley. He, t- Pat Colley is the CEO of MUSC or the Medical University of South Carolina. And he is the one who really had kind of the vision to bring more of the wellness space and academic medical center two worlds together, which as you guys know, is what I strive to do every day. And so I'm really excited to talk about that today. So thank you. Um, thanks for taking the time. Great, Claire. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm still digesting the infamous part. I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> People are very afraid of you. I'm no, not, come on. I don't work for you I'm anymore, man. just a big man. friendly bear. I, that's <laughs> true. I know. People just, people don't know. They don't know you like I know you. How are you? I'm good. How's the year been? You know, this has been, you know, we've had all kinds of words, unprecedented, but I would say overall, it's been a good year for MUSC. Well, that's good. You know, financially, it'll come out to be okay. You'll come back. But we did a lot of things this year. We did stuff, we're talking about health and wellness, mm-hmm. who'd be talking about that Yeah. Um, in a year like this? But we did some things, we pivoted with COVID testing, we're getting into vaccinations. Yeah. Like you wouldn't believe right now. And you know, overall, I would say a pretty good year for MUSC. The COVID testing, I do have to brag on Ed a little bit. He was really he was really on that. I feel like before anyone knew what was going on, um, I remember him coming home and saying, yeah, I talked to Dr. Colley and Dr. Cole today, and we got to figure out this pandemic's coming. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, no, seriously, what are you talking about? And then here we are a year later, just... No, I have to Living say, Ed, dream. Ed was right on it, and Ed and I talked probably every couple of days when that testing was going on, and Ugh. he would make changes, and then I would approve them, and and we did those things really, really quickly, and I think that was one of the good things of the past year. Oh, yeah. That you know, testing we, center is unreal. Where we made some moves quickly. We got it out there. Yeah. Uh, to help people. Because MUSC was the second drive-through testing center in the country. That is correct. Right? First was New York, and then it was us. Well, right? I'm, I'm going to be technical about this. Oh, uh, come on. Second in the country, first on the East Coast. We were actually good. ahead of there you go. that New York uh, drive through testing center. And I just have to, Tom Crawford, who's our chief operating officer, always mentions this. And that is correct. We were the first on the East Coast. It's a big machine, right? To, so to say we have to do this kind of crazy thing where we're like taking over the parking lot of the Citadel Mall and set up this. If you haven't seen it, if you live in, in Charleston and if you've been tested basically anywhere else, I'm sure it was a disaster. 
Um, cause that people were I, like, if I got one more text from one more human talking about disaster testing somewhere else, I was like, I can't, we, you know, Ed's only in charge of one thing, but it was to say it was a well-oiled machine that literally popped up out of nowhere. I mean, it, that's exactly what happened and it, and it was wild. So everybody really got on board with that and just, we were ahead of the game. Yeah. So. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And, and I wish we were even quicker. So we got out in March one of the things, the learning points from COVID is that we could have gotten out in January. Mm-hmm. One of the historic things about testing in this country is that the CDC develops tests. Mm-hmm. And then they pass those tests on to the public health agencies in each state. Mm-hmm. That's the traditional way it is done. But things have changed. Technology has completely changed what's possible now. On January 10th of mm-hmm. 2020, the genome for COVID-19 was published. Oh, and really? anybody that in the soon? world, yes, anybody in the world uh, could have access to that. Wow. Once the genome is published, we can actually develop a test. Mm-hmm. And as an academic medical center, most academic medical centers have the capability, have the brain power mm-hmm. uh, in their labs to develop a test. So if the FDA and the CDC learns something from this, they have to not hold on to testing so tight. We could yeah. have had a test, and we were talking about it. Yeah. But one of the things I learned in January, February, and part of March was this incredible regulatory framework that you got to get past if you want to develop your own test. Yeah. That doesn't need to be like that. Yeah. So hopefully that changes in the future. And one thing we were talking about, too, just kind of before we started was just all of the misinformation that has come out so quickly and we, just with the new kind of social media and everything's on the Internet and there's so much more access to information. And so what, what did you guys, I know we kind of wanted to just talk about the framework of how people are getting their information and, and how did you fight kind of misinformation as an institution? Well, I mean, first you have to have the brand that that's who you are, right? So you, people have to think about the Medical University of South Carolina, what we stand for. Right. And if we're an evidence-based place and people know that, that, when that voice speaks, they're speaking from a certain space, including the most evidence, the best evidence, that has to be out there first. So that's not something we could develop in the middle of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, so first of all, you talk about decades of developing our brand, and that's an evidence-based scientific approach. Yeah. That's who we are. And so it, it, it was hard. I mean, things, as you already know, in social media travel so quickly. I, I can give example after example, and not just the big ones like hydroxychloroquine and, and some of the other things, but, but I saw numerous examples of things that would happen pretty early on mm-hmm. in February, March, and April. Uh, doctors out there, and they, they, they latch on to something. They see something happen. They see something good. They attach those two things. They think there's causation there right. when it was never causation. It was correlation at best. Right. And but they run with it, and if they do it and do it well on social media, right? Then all of a sudden, there's more people recruit it, and it becomes a big problem. Now, the good thing is that I think, you know, by the end, and what I mean by by the end, I mean only in the last couple of months, I do think science has won, and yeah. I do think an evidence-based approach has proven out to be the best way to go. But Meaning, like, in hindsight, we're looking at things and saying, okay, we were right about X, Y, and Z, and, you know. Yeah, I I think the things that were truly effective Mm -hmm. stayed, and the things that truly had no evidence base did not. Went away, yeah. Yeah. And to explain, 
I, I love that correlation does not equal causation, but not everybody will even know what that means. And that's what so much informa- misinformation I've, I feel like comes from correlation, right? And then that gets taken and run with and all over the internet, and, but that doesn't mean... Sure. I mean, we, I mean, a lot of times, and that's, that's natural human instinct. We see A, we see B, and then we naturally think, well, A caused B or A is associated with B. Mm-hmm. And, but in a, in a proper evidence-based manner, that's what we do right. um, in the academic health center. We, we take that evidence and we say, is, is in, in some circumstances, A may be associated with B, but, mm-hmm. but is it really? And you have to look at it, you know, very rigorously. Right. And, uh, and, and figure out, is it causation or is it correlation? So yeah. it, it's hard. It's very, very difficult. And I don't want to overplay that everything's got to be rigorous right. scientific base because we also don't advance if people don't try things and yeah. and there's room for trial and error. Yeah. So I'm not completely against it. What what I What I don't like, though, is things that we know don't have a good base and somebody's out there pushing it hard like it does have a good evidence base. Right, right. So... Like the group that stood up on the steps of the Capitol or wherever it was for hydroxychloroquine. Remember that video like sure. six it's, months no, ago? A, like, no, that that was a that's a great example. And there really wasn't there really wasn't a basis at all. Right, right. But but there were other things that were surprising to us. You know, you as a clinician know steroids worked. I mean, I would have never in a million years thought steroids would work mm-hmm. in something like this. Uh, that numerous lung diseases and numerous uh, severe cases of uh, of viral-associated lung problems don't respond to steroids. Yeah, yeah. But they did in COVID. That, yeah. That's odd. And then we proved it. So you do have to try. You have to try yeah. it, but then you have to actually prove it. You know, in a big enough number to say, okay, now we're going to use this as evidence-based treatment yes. for the rest of these patients. Absolutely. So how do you feel like the wellness space? Because there's not as much. So Ed and I talked about this a little bit, but. There's just not as much evidence-based practice going on in the wellness space. And I think part of that is, you know, lack of funding. And there's a lot of, I think, just things we think are not necessarily going to be harmful. And so people try it, certain diets or exercises or whatever. And But how do we pull the wellness space more into evidence-based and doing things that are, are right for our patients? Because you, you and I have talked about how kind of the two worlds are kind of really – going farther and further apart where patients, what I see is that I think it's unfortunate patients are kind of having to pick one. They're having to pick their wellness space, friends and providers, or, you know, their doctor. And it just, it doesn't have to be like that. So how do we like, pull the two together? Well, I, I mean, that, that's, that's why MUSC is getting into this space. We think we have to move a little bit and, and meet some other groups there. There's more evidence, though, than we admit to. We just mm-hmm. don't promulgate it enough. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence about uh, about exercise, a lot yeah. of evidence, and particularly in people with chronic medical conditions. Mm-hmm. That exercise is definitely helpful. Yep. Mindfulness is definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the nutrition evidence isn't always there, mm-hmm. but, but there's more evidence than there's not. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think we, I think we recognize it in, in, on the academic side. Mm-hmm. We just don't deliver it, and and therefore, we we think that's some something else that there's is great evidence, but we don't deliver it, and therefore we don't get involved in it. Yeah, I think we need to start delivering it. Right, and I think we need some things we need to deliver ourselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of things we just need to partner up with uh, with with groups in the community. And ha- and I think too, 
when you're seeing a patient, it's really hard. So Dr. Gill and I talked about this a little bit um, with one of the things she was touching on PMDD, that one of the first line treatments should be exercise. And it's like, you know, but it's really hard. Admittedly, as a provider, it's very difficult, particularly now with you know, you, we don't want to weight shame people. And there's just so much stigma on discussing things really that are in the wellness space with your patients. And it's really tricky. And so how do we properly disseminate that information to our patients without putting them in that space? Does it, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, it's, it, it's, it's very, very difficult. I remember, you know, years ago when I was a primary care doc, you know, I had, I had papers that I would hand patients, but you know, that, you know, I, I think back in the now, yeah. it, it was very, very incomplete. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so much more difficult to have a conversation with a patient about why exercise is important right? and and then get them to it. It, You know, sometimes as, as physicians, we think, you know, we just say it and it's going to happen, but it is so much harder than that. Right. A lifestyle change is so much more, more difficult. It's more difficult than starting a medication for both parties. Absolutely. And we have to say that, right? Like it's not just that the patient, patient might want a quick fix. They might not. The provider might want a quick fix. They might not. I mean, it's really on both parties a lot of the time. And, and I think it, like you said, I mean, it takes, we're now all in these RVU models and, and with, you know, insurance reimbursement decreasing, you know, every day, um, providers are more pressed to see more patients, you know, see more patients in a less amount of time. So you're, I don't even think patients realize this, but you may have a 15 minute appointment. There are two other people booked at that time, right? So like your 15 minute appointment is now six and a half minutes. And if you've got new diabetes, I'd love to spend 30 minutes with you on your diet and exercise and really like, let's get down to that. But ultimately I've got to start you on metformin and like move on with my day, you know, and hope maybe mention diet and exercise and hope that you'll pick that up and and go home with that. But maybe not. I mean, it's hard. Well, I I think the best thing is because it's incredibly difficult. And I think as, as physicians and best practice providers, we try to pack it all into, Mm -hmm. you know, that 10 minute visit Mm -hmm. and we think we can accomplish many things. You can maybe accomplish one thing. Right. And maybe that's all we need to be thinking about. And thinking about getting that patient into some program that introduces them to what is diabetes and, you know, so they can learn about it and, and you know, start exercising, start changing their diet. Right. Um, but those don't exist. I mean, you know this. It's hard yeah. to find somewhere that I can send a new patient with diabetes and accomplish all those things. I mean, because of reimbursement, you think? Is it just? I don't think the programs exist. Enough, yeah. I, I think part of it is part of it's reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Part of it is in a fee for service environment. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's not somebody offering that and somebody willing to pay for that, mm-hmm. um, it's not going to exist. I do think in a in a managed care environment where people are incentivized, providers are incentivized mm-hmm. for that wellness. You see those things exist. So you go into certain parts of the country where there's a lot of managed care, a lot of prospective payment. Mm-hmm. In those circumstances, the provider is highly incentivized. You'll find a lot more of these kind of programs so that if somebody is diagnosed with diabetes, they're, they're immediately you know, shunted off to that program, and that, that program starts to talk to them about all mm-hmm. the things they need to talk about. And it's usually a six- to eight-week program. Right. It's um, not just like a one-time class. No, it, it class, can't be. Right. I mean, it's so, there are so many nuances to diabetes, as you know, mm-hmm. That there's no way I could cover 
all that's needed, even in three or four visits. Yeah. I mean, you, you've really got to get into a it's program a and understand all the pieces and parts. And I think, too, we forget, and in particularly in South Carolina and, and at MUSC, I mean, we've got a lot of rural patients. We're in Charleston, sure. But a lot of our patients are an hour or two hours away. And, you know, you we're always taught, I think, to present things on like an eighth grade education level. Um, because it's it's we think we understand and it may be simple and they should understand, but that's just not the case. No, and it's it's it, it's so hard. I mean, when somebody comes, this is the other thing. You know, do patients need to come see us in person? It's incredibly intimidating. Yeah. You know, to come to Charleston, to come to a building and and see. Um, see a doctor or an APP that you've never seen before. Right. Um, and you got to get over that first. And then you're also expecting the patient to, you know, hear what their diagnosis is, how to fix it in, mm-hmm. in a very, very short period of time. That's where I think telehealth is perfect. For that. For these kind of things. Yeah. You know, maybe an introduction, but then heavily, heavily follow up with telehealth. That's been a good thing that has come out of COVID is, you know, Two years ago, nobody wanted to do telehealth because the reimbursement was crap, right? And so, yeah, it's easier for a lot of people and it's easier for the patient. But if the reimbursement's not there, then why is your provider going to do it? You know, I mean, like, again, we're back to these decreasing and everybody's upset with big pharma, but like it's really big insurance, right? That's a whole nother episode for another time. But um, I think the reimbursement for telemedicine completely changed and the laws a lot of the laws became more lax and it just became more user-friendly not just for the patient but for the provider and that's who it has to be it has to be easier it has to be easier for both but for it to be financially stable and and sustainable for the provider um i think that's changed completely over the last year so do you see you, you feel like you guys kind of embrace that and um you know musc you know Back around seven or eight years ago, uh, through the state, I actually started the Center for Telehealth here. Mm-hmm. And so we've gotten heavily, heavily, heavily into telehealth. Mm-hmm. So we have 70 to 80-some different programs, or sometimes we call them products. Um, some of them big, like telepsychiatry or telemental health. Mm-hmm. Some of them very, very small. There's but, the stroke program, Yeah, the, right? stroke, the telestroke the has done extremely well. Maternal fetal stuff. Yep. Um, County Gill's done great with... Um, with with that i mean so there's a lot of programs that have done very very well but there's a lot of other programs too that just haven't taken off for a lot of the reasons you just said you know physicians didn't see the reimbursement there it's the the other thing is getting people to use these things yeah um is really important one of the things i hope has occurred uh, we won't really know until this is all over is that telehealth has come Mm -hmm. covid really pushed it to the forefront and it stays it's here yeah yeah i hope I hope it stays. Yeah. Right. And I don't think we can't go back. Like I don't think there's any well, going backwards. I mean, Do you, you know, this really? Is, this is this is where me as a leader, seeing a lot of change management over many years, I, I'm telling you, it wouldn't be hard to slip back into it. I cannot imagine. I think at this point, well, and part of it too is just forcing everybody who never wanted to do it. It's like now you've got people of you know from age two to a hundred like using Zoom and FaceTime and things they've never used before. So all of a sudden you have this entire population of people from every single generation that have been forced to become basically technologically savvy. Otherwise you like couldn't function over the last year. So and I, I can't imagine going backwards from that. Maybe I don't know, maybe we'll uh, well the reason I'm a little skeptical. 
Uh, I, no, I won't take that bet. I'll tell you why. Because we saw some slippage. Already? We saw some, yes, we saw some serious slippage when the Trump administration didn't extend the public health emergency. Mm. And it wasn't extended until the Biden administration came in and then extended it through the end of 2021. Okay. So when they didn't extend it in January, that meant the telehealth benefits were going to go away. Oh, okay. And, you see, and, you and mean we reimbursement saw, we, we saw it starting to okay. slip back very, very, very quickly. Hmm. Right Now, when they extended it, it picked right back up and right. people got right back into it. So my worry is that at the end of 21, calendar year 21, when this goes away, what's going to happen? So, right. you know, we're going to, we're, we've made it a goal here at MUSC mm-hmm. to, to hold on to it, to yeah. keep it going, try to get providers, try to get patients to uh, accept it. And it just, these things just take a little bit of time. And, right. you know, there is this uh, curve that people have to go through from early adopters to yeah. those that just have to, have to change. And we just got to One gotta thing Ed said that I, gosh, it just feels so naive sometimes, but I was like, oh, you would think insurance companies, would be, they would love it. And he's like, oh, no, no, because then patients are be getting seen more, so they have to pay for more, and then they're finding more things, and, and which is so Yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. The, the data, you could say, well, what does the data show? Well, the data's mixed. And, you know, if you ask us as a provider, what do we think of the data? We, could, we look at it where it doesn't show an impact, mm-hmm. and it shows quality improvement. You know, insurance companies look at the data that – Shows it just leads to patients getting seen more, more diagnoses, higher costs. Yeah. You know, the data is mixed. It's in the middle. Mm-hmm. There, there are some great examples. Uh, you know, you can look at telemental health. Mm-hmm. Patients love that kind of program. I'm sure they, they love that kind of program. They can stay in their in their house. Right. You know, there's all kinds of issues with accepting whether you accept or don't accept mental health. This is done in the privacy of your home. Right. And. And you get the care that you need. Yeah. And people show up in telemental health visits at much, much greater rates than they do person to person. You know, another great example of telehealth is telestroke. Mm-hmm. In South Carolina, over the last five years, every South Carolinian, every South Carolinian, that's what, five and a half million people? I don't know. Now are within one hour of expert stroke care, the best stroke care they can get. Because that's of all, the telemedicine That's program? all done through telemedicine. Wow. All done through telemedicine. And that, you know, the, well, people might not know that the timeline for stroke is what's so critical. I mean, yes. if you yeah. can get people the medication that they need, if that's what they need, within a certain amount of time, I mean, the chances of recovery are completely different. Yes. But somebody has to decide whether they're appropriate for that, and it's, it's tough. But, wow, with an hour, that's incredible. Yes. Well, what are some of your favorite things that are currently flying under the wellness radar at MUSC? Because I think, again, Ed and I kind of talked about this a little bit too, but, you know, everybody thinks of MUSC as like, well, you know, if I really need something when I'm really sick, like that's definitely where I want to be. But there's some really incredible things going on that I feel like nobody knows about. Well, the best part about MUSC, and, you know, I've been here about 17 years and I've worked in about maybe a dozen different hospitals in my career. Mm-hmm. The best thing about here is just the innovation. There's this mm-hmm. there's this vibe. People always want to be the first. They want to try new things. And that's that's kind of who we are. We want the most difficult patients, right. you know, the, the just the tough situations. Right. And that's what I like about MUSC. Apply that then to the health and wellness space. Right. And I have to say I'm, I'm massively excited 
about this. I've started a lot of different programs here at MUSC and done different things. But I would have to say the energy around the whole health and wellness space has been the greatest I've ever seen. And, right. and we've done a lot of great things here. But when we start, first started talking about it about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I just started uh, going around just asking different groups, and um, there was I got no negativity. Yeah. None. None. Everybody was incredibly positive about it. So, so we've worked, worked through that and, and, and how we would fund this and how we'd get it going and mm-hmm. how we had to find some leaders and, and people to put some stuff together. But over the last year, we've been slowed down a little bit because of COVID. Right. Like everything. Clearly. But uh, we were planning on making some um, big splashes last spring. Mm-hmm. So we put those on hold, but we kept the team working. Now and I think summer. the team has refined what they've been working on. They got mm-hmm. great products in the exercise space, the nutrition space, and the mindfulness space. Mm-hmm. Those are our three tenants mm-hmm. of health and wellness. And they're coming out this summer. They're going to. I, th- I think people will love to see these different things we're going to offer, and we're going to offer in a way that's also uh, uh, easy on the pocketbook, and yeah, and and so people will want to get them and can get them. That's part of it is access and affordability. It's, a- a- it can absolutely. be so expensive to do a- all of this wellness stuff. A- a- absolutely, we have to be affordable when right. it comes to health and wellness, and at the same time, we have to run a business, and and I think there's a lot of great small health and wellness companies out there, a mm-hmm. lot in, here in the low country. A lot in Charleston, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they make a go of it. We have to have the same kind of mindset. So right. we have to charge right. The other thing is we have to partner up. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great health and wellness uh, companies in town. And, you know, in, in our new paradigm over the last six or seven years, MUSC is not afraid to partner I would, I would think, and I don't know if this is happening or a plan, but I would think it would be really cool to have health and wellness, you know, um, partners in town that have almost like, um, like the, uh, the health department rating, you know, where it's like A, B, or C, and you get like an MUSC, literally like rating or plaque, doesn't have to be a rating because we don't want to, you know, like take anybody down but like a plaque you walk in the door and it's like oh I mean, oh this is an evidence-based place like they they're partnered with musc they're legit they've checked out what they're doing is is good that would i don't know that seems sure like it. no i think that's one of the things you can have we, that idea if you like that's uh, <laughs> that's one of the things we we talked about and we do think that's the perfect space for musc with a partner mm-hmm. you know you know somehow we could assess uh you know what are is what you're doing in the space you're doing it in got a good evidence base behind it. right and that's something right. sure we can get behind yeah um so we've talked about it you know we'll, we'll see where that goes yeah like everything it's we're probably trying tricky to, i'm sure well it's 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 tricky in a lot of ways yeah um but we'll we'll see where that goes i'm sure there will be some idea. kind of like list of you know like approved places or some not approved but i think people want to know you know is is the diet like you do what's your thing you do carolyn said you do what f f45 yeah i've got f45 in mount pleasant little plug there beast mode i can tell (laughs) yes yes but like what made you choose that and what you know what should people be looking for in these partners i mean is there any for me it's just what location, convenience, price, but then like, how does, how do I actually feel when I leave there? Um, and I think there's some, you know, whether it's evidence-based or not, when I leave, if I feel better, like, well, that's enough, you know, for me, but what made you choose F45? 
you know, I, I went to a lot of different gyms and for a long time I went to gyms by myself and then mm-hmm. worked out and maybe had a workout um, kind of on my phone or something I mm-hmm. followed. But about two years ago, I started taking classes mm-hmm. and I found out that, you know, I actually like a class much better than... I do too. Than, than, than going by myself. Yeah. And so I tried, I mean, I tried dozens and dozens and dozens of different places. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I tried a lot of things, um, you know, had my, had my class pass and mm-hmm. went through just about everything in Charleston. And, you know, you just, you settle on a place that's, yeah, it's easy to get to. Yeah. It's the right price. The people there, you just, you just, uh, fit with schedules. A lot of it schedule. You know, yeah. You know, for me, they had a, they had the perfect schedule, 5am classes and, you know, I couldn't always find those, uh, yeah. that time. So, and, um, and I've, I've, I've kept it up, but I've tried a lot of different things, but the big take home is classes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a class person now. Yeah. I will I always too. go to the classes. I used to work out by myself and I'd run and all that. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's cause I'm older and just like lazier now, but I feel like being in the room with more people, it's I'm competitive. I don't know against who I'm not even like looking at other people, but I'm just like, well, other people are looking at me, so I'm not going to slack it off now. You know, there's definitely something about going to a class. I also go to, I've done most of the spinning. um, Yeah. I thought uh, you were a big bike guy, right? Yeah. And I got into spinning heavily and I've sort of settled into cycle bar in Mount Pleasant, but I've Mm -hmm. tried all the spinning um, Mm -hmm. studios in town and people say, well, just, just get a Peloton in your house. It's not the it's same. It's not the same. It's just not the same. I know. And we have a Peloton, which I love. However, which for COVID was like amazing, um, but it took us forever to get it. But it, it it's just not, it's not the same. It's not the same like group kind of effort. You're in this together mentality. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's I, I find there's a discipline in, you know, knowing I have to be somewhere at 830 and I got to leave in 10 minutes and, and it's got to happen. Good. Well, keep it up. F45. I need to try that, but I'm a little bit afraid of it. Because doesn't Marky Mark own it or something, right? Uh, Mark, he does, he does some marketing. Let's just leave it at that. In my head, it's like very, you know, like it's a, a CrossFit manly. Type. It, it's a CrossFit type uh, exercise studio, but it, okay. it works for me. And, yeah. And the instructors and the coaches are pretty good. Well, and that's what's important. You know, it has to work yeah. for the person, too. So, so this summer, so is this going to be like an actual space or is it the program rolling out or what are we what are we envisioning well, coming down the so line be, be thinking that that we're going to have product in those three areas in mm-hmm. the exercise uh, domain nutrition domain mm-hmm. and in the mindfulness domain those are the three things okay. that we're going to have uh you know what i call product in and we're going to package them up so you can try them all mm-hmm. at, at the right uh, rate uh it's all going to be in mount pleasant mm-hmm. so we have what we call uh, an entity with inside MUSC called MUSC Solutions. Mm-hmm. That's an entity where we, if we have ideas and we want to get them out real quick, mm-hmm. uh, they have dedicated space out there mm-hmm. uh, over on Coleman Boulevard. And that's where we start new things. Cool. And then when things are successful, we want them to be successful, mm-hmm. then we move them more, to somewhere more else. More locations. Yeah. So we have some, what we call startup space Yeah. Uh, over there. So all of these different programs will begin in that startup space and... You'll see some marketing about it and love people to try it and mm-hmm. tell us what they like, tell us what they don't like. Hopefully, they'll all be successful, but, um, you know, we'll we'll keep pushing the things that work and the things that people don't seem to like, you know, we'll, we'll adjust and, yeah. and try different things. 
Well, fun. I'm excited. I can't wait to see more. Uh, I am too. It's good stuff. Well, thanks for chatting. Absolutely. This was delightful. Thanks. Um, Thanks, guys, for listening. And as always, if you like hearing from evidence-based providers, please share, rate, subscribe. Um, That's how we find guests, and that's how people find the podcast. And I'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.